Welcome to Pretty Good Sermons, the teaching resource of Franklin Community Church in Franklin, Indiana. This sermon is titled, Good News About Gluttony. It's part of the series, The Seven Deadly Sins, and the focus of this sermon is not just to tell you that gluttony is bad and that you should avoid it, but to explain why food is God's good gift and how to receive that gift in such a way that it draws us closer to the giver. I hope you find it helpful. This morning, as we look through the seven deadly sins, today we get to talk about gluttony. (laughs) And we need grace for gluttony, right? I told my wife, or she asked me what I was preaching on this week, and I I told her that she goes, well, I'm not going. And I, (laughs) I think if we're honest, that would be a lot of our responses to this, because we know that this is a common struggle for us. And, and I've got good news for you. This will not be a sermon about what you're doing wrong in your eating and how you should eat less. This is not a guilt sermon at all. And here's the reason. Number one, I have no room to talk, right? And, and number two, we know all that. And we have heard, if not in this area, at least a million sermons on you're doing this wrong and you should change your ways and do this and this instead. And we know that in this area, at least, we're probably not going to be able to change, at least not on the basis of one sermon. We've already been there, we bought the t-shirt, and it doesn't fit anymore, right? <laughs> this isn't going to be that kind of sermon. Instead, as I was praying through this, I came to the conviction that what would actually help us is to have the right view, according to God, about food and then let his spirit work that through our lives in its various ways. And maybe that means that if we have the right view, that will help us in not overeating. But more importantly, even if it doesn't, I believe it will help us as we deal with our struggle with eating to draw closer to God through that instead of farther away. All right. So I'm going to break this down basically just into two parts here. And first part is just three biblical truths about food and eating. We're not going to be in one passage. We're going to be in several. And if I was going to have one main idea, one topic sense for this whole sermon, it would probably be this first point right here, that food is a love gift of God to you. That food is a love gift of God to you. It is something that he created to bring you pleasure, both spiritually and physically. Now, there's a great quote I want to begin this particular part with. I've got a a really big reference book in my office called The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. And basically what it does is it traces all the imagery and metaphors and symbolism in the Bible. And it has a very long passage on food and eating. It writes this, with 700 references to the act of eating, and this is not even counting references to drinking and food, we can say with confidence that eating is a master image of the Bible, one of those that just controls so much of the biblical idea. No biblical image combines the literal and the figurative, the physical and the spiritual, more inextricably than does the imagery of eating. Both literally and figuratively, eating communicates the paradigm of a providential creator and a dependent humanity. I sometimes have said that the most basic truth in ethics is is simply this. There is a God, 
and we're not him, right? And that, that's kind of what is denied when we sin. That's part of this fallen nature. But it's in the act of eating that if we let it, we can be reminded of this, not only every day, but several times a day. We are here created in a way that we are dependent upon the food that God gives. Now think about it for a second. We take our digestive system, the way that we process life through the physical elements of food, we usually take that for granted. And yet, is it not true that an omnipotent God who can do all things, who created all things just by willing and speaking them, could have created us without that need for food? I mean, he does that with other living organisms. Some live primarily on sunlight, some on the nutrients from water. They don't have a digestive system, and yet they're still alive. And certainly God could create us in any way that he wanted to. Food is a gift that he gives us. More for just keeping us alive, he could have done that in, in other ways. In fact, we're told this in Genesis 1. That the creation of the man and woman says, God blessed them and said to them, I want you to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you. Notice how he says this. I give you. It is a gift. Every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And God saw all that he has made, and it was good. So one of the first things we see in the scripture is that God does things in a way that mean more than just the physical aspect of that. For example, he creates man and woman, tells them, go fill the earth, go have sex, have children, fill the earth. And we don't need to look too far into biology to know that God could have created us with the ability to reproduce without sexual intercourse. There are organisms in this world that do that. And yet he does it. He gives them that gift. And then he also gives them the gift of food. The first thing that we're told after the creation of the man and woman is God blesses them with these gifts. Some people think God's a prude. Far from it. Psalm 104 kind of builds upon this. Beautiful psalm. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. So this is the first most basic truth, and it's not lost in the New Testament as well. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I want you to command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. But what a wonderful phrase. In another passage, he writes, <clears throat> he writes a warning about false teachers. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, that's today, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Wow. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Okay, this is pretty strong stuff, right? They're deceiving teachings. 
that are teachings of people who are abandoning the faith. They are teaching things taught by demons. What are they? They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good. What's that thinking? Everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated, made holy by the word of God in prayer. So, first biblical truth, that food is a love gift of God to you. He desires to bless you with it. Here's a second. Our enemy will always try to use God's good gifts for evil. Uh, perhaps it's no coincidence that the first sin involved food. Um, there's an interesting theory about bonding, food and bonding. I was listening to a lecture by a man named Jim Wilder, and he talked about uh, what social psychologists have found about how we bond through eating. And one of the things he talks about is that the most foundational way that we bond, or the most primal, is that by a person feeding us. And that's why an infant, normally, will always bond first and most strongly with its mother, who feeds the child even before birth, who feeds the child after birth through her own body, and continue to feed the child through childhood. And this is designed by God. Now, as the child grows, other things are added to that. They, they play with the child. There's body language, shared experiences. But the feeding is always foundational. And there's a reason for this, because there's part of what happens here is this attachment through feeding. Think of the best meal you've ever had. I remember many years ago, when I was still in seminary, yes, another lifetime ago, uh, Amy and I were working out in South Dakota. It was, a, it was a tourist restaurant near Mount Rushmore. In fact, it's almost the closest one to Mount Rushmore. So obviously, when school started, the demand went down. We had some free time. And so there was a break between when the peak of that restaurant, when they needed us, and then when I started back to seminary. And so Amy and I were like, you know, we've been working like dogs. We're going to go into seminary here. Let's have a break. Let's go to Puerto Vallarta because we found this all-inclusive thing, you know. Sally went with us, and the best meal that I remember is at a place called Bogart's in Puerto Vallarta, Puerto Vallarta with uh, Sally and Amy, and it was just this wonderful meal and this wonderful break and this wonderful time with people we loved, and it was a great thing. Here's where I'm going with this. I bet if you thought through the best meals you've had, they were with people. Because part of why God gives us food is this ability that it bonds us together with each other, but also with the one providing that food. And so when God says, I've created all this for food for you, and it is good, and the evil one comes and says, no, you know, that one bit of food that God has not told you you could eat, that's actually the good thing for you. And they chose to obey his words instead of God's, in a sense, bonding with him, that has a lot of spiritual significance. That kind of leads to the main problem that we have with food, is that instead of receiving it as a gift from God that bonds us with him, it becomes something that, in a way, competes with God. We can become bonded to food or other pleasures more than the one who gave us these things. 
In Jeremiah, this is God's complaint to his people. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and its rich produce. I, I wanted this for you. I brought you to this land of milk and honey. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? And those who deal with the law did not know me. They rebelled against me. His desire says, I, I wanted to bring you into this beautiful land where you could enjoy this together, but you have rejected me while seeking the blessing. In Philippians, when Paul wants to warn about enemies of the cross, he said, their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomach. Now, there was a lot more going on for them, these enemies of the cross. I'm not saying that that's us. But rather what I'm pointing out is that there could be an attachment even in idolatry to the things that we eat, right? And this isn't so much the amount of eating, but rather the emphasis we place upon the eating. Whether it's quantity or in many cases it's quantity. If we're really focused on the certain food that we like, we have to have it a certain way, certain time. It can be more about those things than about the quantity sometimes. Our enemy wants to use this for evil. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing though. At this point, I'm not primarily talking about the physical results of overeating or being bonded to food. You don't need me for that, right? We live in a world that's very aware of all that. When this happens, though, when we have turned from the giver and instead, subconsciously at least, know that we're giving ourselves to pleasures of the flesh apart from God, Something happens within us. We want to avoid God. Isn't that what happened with Adam and Eve? They turned from God. Where are you? Well, he knew. But he wanted it to be brought out. We knew we had sinned in this way, and we turned from you. And that's what all sin does, of course, not just this. But this is one that happens daily to us, right? Because if we're honest, hardly any of us get through a whole day without really sinning against this idea in, in some degree, at least I usually don't. Um, your mileage may vary. But the point is, it's the guilt that can keep us then from this wondrous attraction to God that we are designed to have with him. This wonderful bonding with him that we're designed to have. Instead, there's something between us now. You ever done something wrong to someone? And until that was confessed, you knew that there was something between you. You really weren't even sure you wanted to be around that person. And sometimes it's not so much what they did to you, but what you know you did to them. And our enemy uses good gifts for evil. The guilt from that is the payoff. I believe our enemy is much more interested in the result of sin than sin itself. All right, third point here, though. What our enemy uses for evil, God uses for good. <laughs> so, just like the enemy wants to use the good things of God for evil in, within our lives, God more than capable of changing that into something good for us. Do you remember the story of Joseph sold into slavery? I'm talking about Joseph in the Bible in the book of Genesis, sold into slavery by his own brothers. And at the end, they come before him and they, they see forgiveness because they're scared of him now because he, he's got all the power. And he, and he looks at his brothers and says, look, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good, for the saving of many souls. And he did. You see that in the story. 
He was clear-eyed about this. He wasn't saying, no, no, it wasn't that bad. No, you meant it for evil, just like the evil one does, but God means it for good. And right now, I believe he wants to use our problems with overeating or eating of different kind for our good, and he will do so. And I love this verse in Romans. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, or I think the idea is to be seen for what it is. But where sin increased, what happens? Grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the principle. Satan always pulls God's cart. And he leads us into sin, but if we respond rightly, the very fact that we're stuck in this dynamic of sin, even daily sin, over something like eating, actually is something that God will use for our eternal spiritual good. So even if we don't change our eating, I think hopefully even going through this has helped me this week to change my eating a little bit. But even if apart from that, leave that apart, I believe there are good things God wants to do. We can let our eating bring us closer to God. We can let our eating bring us closer to God, even our food struggles. How? Well, first, enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy your food as a gift from God. It is. And if you take it and receive it as a gift, I find that when I do that and I remember that this is a a gift from God, I am much less, less likely to abuse it. More than that, my heart and my mind are centered on God, the giver, more than the gift that's right before me. And, uh, and when that happens, when that happens, I draw closer to him. Now part of that just it comes by this. Make it a practice to give genuine thanks for your food. Many of us probably do this. But we can also do it in a kind of non-thinking way, right? People, every time they sit down to the the meal, they say the same kind of rope prayer, you know, bless this food, use it for the nourishing of our bodies, bless the hands are prepared. Okay, that's fine if you mean each one of those phrases while you're saying them. But many times it becomes simply another rote thing we do, like washing our hands before we eat. And it doesn't really move us. So I'm talking about looking at that plate of food before you, saying, this is God's gift to me for my life, but also for my pleasure. And God, I want to give you thanks for that. Now you can say that in different ways, but to make that a genuine movement of your heart and mouth changes everything. And then second, picture yourself enjoying food with God. Can you do this? It's his gift, right? Does he want you to enjoy it? He could have made you with the ability that you don't need food. or Like panda bears will only eat bamboo. That's the only food they'll eat. He could have made us so we only had one kind of food. Maybe oatmeal is the only thing we ever ate in life. And we just did it because it relieved hunger pains. It didn't bring any other pleasure. And you know what? We would still need to be grateful. But how much more when we recognize that God created the bounty of different kinds of foods, of colors and textures and flavors to please us? You ever made a meal just to please somebody? 
Yeah. Did you want them to enjoy it? Picture yourself enjoying that food with God. Jim Wilder, the one who gave that lecture, I believe he's a psychologist, but he was talking about it in his counseling session. There's a woman who came to him. She was struggling with, with the food addiction. And part of her daily ritual was she'd feel guilty about being overweight and eating too much. So the way that she had kind of trained herself to deal with the guilt, though, was by eating ice cream, her favorite food. So she'd sit down and have a bowl of ice cream in the evening. And then she'd feel guilty about it. And what does she do when she feels guilty about things? She has more ice cream. She says most evenings she was going through three or four bowls of ice cream. And Dr. Wilder told her, says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Tonight, when you go home, I want you to have a bowl of ice cream, and I want you to picture God with you right beside you. And the woman says, no, I couldn't do that. Why not? Well, he'd take it away. (laughs) Now, is that woman being drawn closer to God through her food? Or is she seeing God as the big killjoy, whom really the deepest part of her wants to avoid? In spite of that, he talked her into it, and she came back and reported later that she sat and enjoyed a bowl of ice cream, picturing Jesus there right beside her, enjoying her pleasure in the food that he provided. And you know what? She says, I only had one bowl. Now, that's going to help her, having one bowl instead of four. It's going to help her health-wise. But more than that, how much will that help her spiritually? Are you able to receive the food that just comes into your life as a gift from God, mediated through a hundred channels, as it were, but as his gift to you. I like this phrase. The goal is to enjoy all things in God and God in all things. And that's a pretty good test, by the way, of whether something is a sin or not. Can I draw closer to God through this? Can I enjoy this with God and enjoy God through this? That's the goal. All right, last part. Let your failures draw you closer to God. You will fail in this. You will fail. Even if you're one of those people that can eat anything you want and still keep a perfect body weight, and by the way, if you are, I hate you. Um, (laughs) But even if you are, or even if you have the most self-discipline of of anybody in the world, are you really going to be able to go each day receiving each food and drink that God gives you as a gift, offering him genuine thanks for that, letting your heart draw closer to him, eating the right amount and only the right amount for your daily needs? Is that realistic? No. That's not us, right? Like I said, we've been there and bought the T-shirt. We're going to fail in this. Here's where this problem of gluttony can actually become a gift, though. Because there are a lot of sins that we can convince ourselves that we don't really have. Not this one. You feel those hunger pains every day, the plates there before you, and you realize that almost every day we fail in some way in this area. And the reason that's a good thing is because then it reminds us of the most important truth, that we are 
created by God with wonderful gifts, but we are sinners in need of grace continually. We do not just need grace to get saved. We do. None of us can save ourselves. It's the gift of God. But to walk with God in the right way each day also takes more grace. More grace. And, and, and the closer we draw to God, the more grace we're going to use up. Because we're constantly seeing, as we draw closer to him, more and more of the things that we need his grace for. Because the closer we get to him, the more we see how we're not like him. And when we recognize who does this gift that we abuse, then we see that we do this in many ways, even on a daily basis. That's why I think gluttony can be the one sin that really helps us spiritually because it reminds us of our perpetual need for God's grace. So, enjoy your food as a gift from God. Use it the right way. But when you fail, and you will, don't beat up on yourself. Don't slink off in shame. Turn to God. God, forgive me and help me. And this reminds me, God, that I'm not you, that I'm a sinner, and I need your grace today in many ways that I see and I don't see. And you know the beautiful thing? That grace will never run out. I heard a story of a man who was visiting a small town, and they, there was a park with a well. And he was curious because so many people go, went to the well to get their drinking water. He saw family after family go in there to draw, draw water in so he asked one of the locals, does, does this well ever run dry? And the guy says, well, no. He says, you know, in fact, we even tried to see one time. We brought in all the fire trucks, pumped out as much water as we could. But what we found was that we couldn't make this well run dry because there's a river that runs underground that feeds it. You will never run the grace of God dry. But as you take more and more of it, it purifies you and makes you connected with God, bonded with him in the right way. Not as someone who has it all together, but as someone who needs his grace and receives his grace daily.